Well, good morning once again. Good to see you all here today. Aren't you glad you're here? Man, I got to tell you, during worship, I was just sitting there thinking, I really like this place. I am so glad I get to come here every week and worship with you all and just hear your voices and the passion and the life. It's, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Well, as, um, as has been mentioned, Wilson's in Pakistan. I think, they're, I think they just left for India. But um, some of the stuff that's happened, and I'm sure there's going to be so many things Wilson will have to share when he gets back. In case you don't know, Wilson Cochran is my son, Lori, Lori and my son, and um, he's one of our uh, senior leaders here in the church on staff. So um, Wilson prayed for a guy the other day that was paralyzed from the waist down. His friends actually had to pick him up and bring him, and he was healed instantly. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so let's all say this together. Bring it back home. Bring it yeah. Back home. Again, bring it back home. Bring it back home. That's what we want. That's, that's, that's where we're headed. That, that's what our hearts long for here. I believe that's what God's called us to see miracles like that. Uh, Robbie Dawkins, Robbie likes to kind of like push culture a little bit when he's in places like this. And so he, he had uh, a word of knowledge that there are 12 men with back problems. And so 12 men came up on stage, and then he called 12 little girls to come up and pray for them, and, uh, uh, which probably is not culturally fitting, but um, let, let's stretch them some, the right direction. And all 12 of them were healed. So it's awesome. <clears throat> just saw a report uh, this morning that 22,000 people have, been, have come to faith in Jesus, have accepted Jesus, that uh, 12,000 have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that a crowd of 50,000, they're speaking to a crowd of 50,000 people, the, uh, this wasn't Wilson, but one of the other guys on the trip said, the glory and presence of God fell on the whole crowd. So isn't that awesome? Yeah. So look forward to having Wilson back here to share with us. But pray with me right now, all right? Uh, Father God, we are thankful that your kingdom is present in this world. We're thankful that you are working actively to bring heaven to earth. Thank you for Pakistan. Thank you for India. Thank you for open hearts that just want to know you. They just want to know you, and they're not going to get tripped up by the past religion they've come from. They want to know you, and, and you're opening their hearts in droves to receive Jesus. So bless Wilson with power and life, an encouraged heart every day, every step of the way. Use him powerfully, Lord. Use him powerfully, and bring him back here with just buckets and buckets of fresh anointing in this whole realm of healing and evangelism. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about intercessory prayer. And, and you know, prayer, you can look at prayer a lot of different ways. And sometimes it's difficult to define some of these terms I'm going to use too precisely. But, but I'm going to give you some definitions of prayer, different types of prayer. One is simply what we call petition. That's when Jesus said, uh, you know, ask the Father for your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a petition. Father, meet my needs today. The things I need, the things my family needs today. Uh, there's prayer that is worship and praise. So many, of our, so many of our worship songs are really prayer. You know, they're addressed to God. And, and if, you, if you realize that, 
then as you're singing it, you're singing it to God, and it really is prayer. And Jesus said that we're supposed to pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, and then what's next? Hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed mean? Holy. So he's saying, holy, you are holy, Father. That's prayer, and that's worship. And so there's a, a kind of prayer that is just simply communing with God, where you're just spending time with God, talking to him, uh, just going throughout your day, you're driving to work, or you're walking down the hallway at work, or just, just whatever you're doing, or maybe you're going for a walk in the park, and you're just talking to God about life, and about your life, and about what he wants to say to you, and new things he wants to open up to you, and your understanding. And so there's that communing. Jesus did that a lot. You know, he got up early in the morning. He would have long, excruciatingly long days and then sleep and get up early in the morning. Now, they, fair, fairly, they probably went to bed somewhere around dusk or shortly thereafter. He'd get up early in the morning before anyone else and go off to pray. And it says other places that even during the middle of the day, he would, says he often withdrew to lonely places, places to pray. That's this idea of communing with the Father. He just wanted to be in the Father's presence. And so there's that. There's listening prayer where you're, you're praying and you're just listening. You need direction. You want God to speak and give direction. Uh, other types of prayer. There is warfare prayer where you're actually confronting the powers of darkness. You're confronting the enemy. And like Jesus said to Satan at the end of his temptation, what did he say? He said, get behind me, Satan. That was like today. That's like saying, just get out of here, Satan. Take a hike. You can't stay here any longer. That was prayer, but it was warfare prayer. And there's also prayer that is associated with fasting. We're going to talk about that next week. There's prayer that is praying in the spirit, which some people would call praying in tongues. I like uh, Jack Hayford's uh, language for that. He calls it a, um, um, what's Jack Hayford call it? Just, just lost that. Prayer, not a prayer language, but it's, uh, let me see if I've got it here. Oh, I got it. Spiritual language. Yeah, sorry about that. Spiritual language. I like that. You're praying in the Spirit with a, spirit, a language you don't know because everything that needs to be prayed, guess what? You don't know what it is. We don't know everything that needs to be prayed. And so God gives us a prayer language that communicates from, from our hearts to his heart in ways that we can't uh, when, when we're using our intellect. We're going to talk about that next week too. Now there's this other type of prayer that we're calling intercession. And intercessory prayer is a combination of the few of the, a few of these. It, it really involves a lot of warfare prayer. But intercessory prayer is when one person steps between two people either to reconcile them or ste steps in between two people to represent one person to another person and to, for, the, for the welfare of the friend. And so it would be me using relational equity that I have, stepping in and using that relational equity for the benefit of someone else. Now... God desires this so much, and he so much wants us to be committed to intercessory prayer. And if you were here last week, you know, talked so much about this idea of capturing God's heart for people, for cities, for nations, and compassion. 
And when we get in touch with God's heart, we're going to experience God's compassion. And his compassion is going to just of necessity drive us to intercessory prayer, to serving and intercessory prayer. And the father in the Old Testament in Isaiah, I think it's, it's chapter 59, God was shocked that there was no one to intercede. He said, I looked, I looked for a man to intercede and there was no one. I was surprised there was no one. You see, God looks at us and he says, well, I thought you had my heart. I, th I thought I gave you my heart, but you're not interceding. So he was just shocked and surprised there. So really for us as a church, we've had a lot of people that have been interceding over the years. And, and we have groups right now that pray and intercede. But I think we're at a point now where God is just calling us to a higher level of that. And in a broader basis, to have more and more of us involved in intercessory prayer. And so this, this whole idea of um, intercession, of, of representing my friend to another person, uh, it, I had this happen a few years ago. I, we were right about the, maybe six or seven years ago, God spoke to me and reminded me of something he had said to me two or three years before that, that I obviously had let drift or ignored. And that was that for this church to become everything God wants it to be, there were things in my own heart that had to be healed, that I had to get out, that I had to change some of my thinking. And so when the Lord reminded me of that, I, um, I, I went to a counselor and I got in to see this counselor. He's high demand. He doesn't see very many people any longer. He's, he's up in years. But my church planning coach, Steve Shogren, recommended me to him. And so because Steve knew him and Steve recommended me to him, he saw me too. Now, over the months that I saw this guy, I developed a heart-to-heart -heart, heart connection with him. And so several years later, I had a friend who needed to see somebody. And I thought, oh, this guy's perfect for you to see. Well, you can't get in to see him. So I went to the office and I talked to him. And I said, my friend, you know, he's a great guy. I think he, he's really well worth you giving your time to him. And I know you'd really bless him. So then he got in to see him too. You see how this works? Steve introduced me to him. After he introduced me to him, I developed some relationship with him. And I had some relational equity there. Steve used his relational equity to bring me in. Then I used my relational equity with him to bring someone else in. And, and that's really the heart of intercessory prayer is when you recognize where you stand with God the Father and you understand your relationship with him and then you go to him and you say, Father, what you've done for me, do for this person. This person, they, they need it. And you freed me. You gave me life. You gave me purpose. You took, the, you took the sadness out of my life and the anxiety and the fear and the anger. Do that for them too, Father. And that, that's the heart of intercession right there. Now, I, I, um, this whole idea that Jesus, uh, that, that we have equity with God, it, some of us would say, well, yeah, I have some relational equity with Jesus. I know that. But God the Father, you know, I'm not so sure about him. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this, he said, you'll ask in my name in John 16, 26 and 27. He says, then you will ask in my name. And he says, I'm not saying I'll ask the father for you. For the father himself loves you. He loves you dearly because you love me and believe I came from God. See, what Jesus is saying there is, I introduced you to the father. You know, through his work on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, I brought you into the Father. Now you have your own relationship with him, and he loves you. 
And later in John 17, Jesus says that, that he wants the whole world to know that the Father loves us, believers, in Jesus just as much as he loves Jesus. And so this, like, it's very easy to think that God the Father just kind of tolerates us. You know, Jesus, I know Jesus loves me. He's my buddy. And because Jesus is my buddy, the Father kind of tolerates me and lets me hang around the house too. Anybody, any of you as kids ever experienced that? Am I the only one? I know I had friends who their parents weren't crazy about me, but their, their, their son was my friend. And so, but, but here, I had other friends. My best friend, his father loved me, and I knew that. And so in this case, Jesus introduces us to the Father. We have a relationship with the Father ourselves. He loves us. And so we come, and we come before him, and we intercede, and we say, Father, this person, this group, this church, this city, this, this nation needs what you have. So release your kingdom, release your life, release your presence into their life, into their city, into their church, into this, into this nation. Do it, Father. And that's intercession. And that's what he calls us to. Uh, he calls us to more than that. He calls us to action, to do. Yesterday, Lori and I visited um, Healing on the Streets up at the mall where we have every Saturday from 12 to 2, we have a group of people there, big banner that says healing, and people come by and, and they stop and they sit down and we pray for them. Pray for all variety of things, healing physically, emotionally, uh, just problems they're facing in life. We do. We don't just sit back and pray. We went to we visited a drive-through prayer yesterday, where they they um, they uh, have a drive a, a round driveway a, a, and a circular driveway, and they pray for people that pull in. They hold signs up, free prayer. So we're doing, and we're going to do more. There's a group that goes to the Kenwood Mall on a regular basis and practices evangelism there. We need to do more, but undergirding all of that is intercessory prayer. Undergirding all of that is us as a church body praying and ask, just begging God and pleading with God for his blessing in all of these efforts and all of these. Now, in the Old Testament, the word for uh, intercession is the word paga. Okay, that's the Hebrew word. You would pronounce it paga. And I, I read that word and I thought, wow, I like that word. And, and for some reason, what came into my mind was like a Hawaiian warrior. Maybe because we just watched Moana last week, okay? I think that's why <laughs> we had Haya with us and we were watching Moana. So I pictured this, this warrior with a battle club smacking somebody on the head with it and shouting, Paga! as they do. Because that word sounds like a warfare word to me. And actually, that Hebrew word in some context can mean physically attacking someone. It can mean mugging them. But in other contexts, it means intervening, interceding. And so in the context where that word means intercession, it still has these undertones of strength and power and passion and almost a violent type of heart and commitment to the process. And so when you think of that, you recognize that this whole idea of intercession isn't just a nice, sweet prayer meeting. We come before God with this audacious boldness that says, I'm coming before the throne of God, and I'm coming to ask God to fulfill his word to release his kingdom on this earth. 
And so with that confidence, you come and you pound on the door, and God's secretary comes and says, he's busy, can't see you, tell him it's me. Okay, tell him it's me, tell him it's Van, and I know he'll see me. Because, you see, we're told, come boldly before the throne of grace, and he loves you like he loves Jesus. And so when you know Jesus, then you get in. You get in. He's never too busy for you. I remember reading in, in one of the biographies of Abraham Lincoln that his son Todd would come into Lincoln's office uh, through a secret stairway and that he would always stop what he was doing to spend time with his son. Stop what he was doing to give him his attention for a moment. And that's what God the Father's like and that's what his heart is for you. You have access to him. You have relational equity with God. You have influence in heaven. Say that with me, okay? If you know Jesus, now if you don't know yet Jesus yet, what you need to know is that he died for your sins, he rose from the dead, he's alive today, and you can receive him into your life. And here's the thing, God has already reconciled himself to you. Your sins are already forgiven, but you won't bear the benefit of that until you repent of the direction you're headed, turn around towards him and you come into relationship with him, and then you bear all the benefits of that. You're saved at that moment. Just because Jesus died for the sins of the world doesn't mean the whole world is saved. You're saved by turning to him and receiving him by faith. But if you've done that, then you have this special preferential relationship with the Father. You have influence in heaven. Say that with me. I have influence in heaven, okay? Again, I have influence in heaven. I have free access to the Father. I have free access to the Father. The Father loves me. The Father is delighted that I'm one of his kids. I have a mentor that I was talking to a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine. He's kind of like a big brother, just a couple years older than me, but um, very bold guy and, and very free. And we were talking about leading with authority and walking in your authority. He said, well, first of all, he said, I wake up every day convinced that God is just totally excited that I'm one of his kids. He said, I'm just convinced that the father is just thrilled to have me in his family. And he loves me. He said, it's not just something I believe in my head. He said, I, I, just, I feel that. I really believe that. And he said, secondly, I believe this. When I walk into a room, that room's going to get better. Now, why? Because he's so great? No, because Jesus made him, designed him, and restored him, and Jesus lives in him and through him. And so when we start to think that way, wake up every morning, and you say, Father, uh, not only am I ridiculously in love with you, but uh, more importantly, because we love him because he first loved us, remember that, more importantly, you are ridiculously in love with me. You are crazy about me. And thank you for that, Father. I, I receive that. You know, you don't do God any honor, it does not honor God for us to deny what he's done for us or what he says about us. And if the Bible says the Father himself loves you, then it's really pride when I say I'm unlovable. It's, it's really, I mean, that doesn't honor God for me to say, oh, I'm just this lowly, per, I'm, I'm of no account, uh, you know, I have no gifts. I, 
when we do that, we're really contradicting God. We're saying, God, you're not right. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're... So we need to not just believe that he loves us. We need to really allow that to just to come in and permeate our hearts and our minds and our thinking and our perception of life. And when we do that and we engage with his heart of compassion for the people around us and the world around us, intercession is then just the natural outcome of that. Because we, we have, as, as I said, we have this audacious boldness to come into God's presence. Now in Isaiah 62, um, I read this verse to you last week, but I didn't really get to talk much about it. I want to look at it again, Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. And here God's speaking to Jerusalem. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, there we are. All right. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. And then he says to the watchmen, you who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. Now, the first thing I see here is it's watchmen. And so he's, he's speaking here of those that pray, intercessory prayers, and he's, he's uh, likening them to a watchman on the wall of a city. And that watchman has good eyesight. You put your people with the best eyesight up there because you want them to be able to see any little sign of the enemy coming. And so they must have good eyesight. And that speaks in, in parallel to uh, our, our whole emphasis on intercessory prayer to prophetic insight. So we often call it prophetic intercession. Because you want, to have, you want to have insight into the Word of God, into what God's saying in His Word. And then you want to have insight into what God's doing right now in the spiritual realm so that we can pray that into the world. And so it takes watchmen. So it's prophetic. Second thing is they will never keep silent. So it's passionate. They're not going to back off. They're not going to give up. They're going to keep going. They'll never, you can't keep them silent. Why? Because they've seen what God wants to do. And they have a heart, they have God's heart of compassion for the world. How can they stay silent? And so it's prophetic, it's passionate. Then it's persistent. It says they'll take no rest. No rest for yourselves. Because it's not about you. You get to be part of this incredible thing God's doing in the world. But, but don't think of it in terms of, well, uh, you know, take no rest for yourselves. It's persistent prayer. You keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying. And then finally, it's based on promise. God, God makes this promise to release his kingdom into the world. He says, give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. And so in that context, Jerusalem with the center, and, uh, and, and the, the promise here, though, is that the kingdom of God will come from heaven to earth. And this idea of persistent, passionate intercession, us calling out to God for our, uh, not for our church, but that our church would be everything God wants it to be for the community, okay? We don't, we don't want to have a nice, safe, cozy church. We want to have a church that is on fire for God and empowered by God to be everything God wants it to be so that we can be what he wants us to be for the community and for the city and for the state and the nation and the world. 
And so we're calling out to God for that. And, and we do that with this prophetic insight and this passion and persistence and based upon his promises, God, your word says this, fulfill it. We want to see it happen, God. We want it to happen now. We don't want to read about it happening somewhere else in the world. We want it to happen here and now. And so we keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. And when you don't see it, you keep praying. Any of you ever been on an appointment with someone and they didn't show up on time? Okay. How many of you left? How long did you stay? 30 seconds? A minute? How many of you left after one minute or 30 seconds? Five minutes. How many, how many people here have waited for an appointment for a half hour before? I have. Have you? Do you know what that says? You had high confidence in that person. The, the length of time you will wait for someone who's late, late on an appointment determines, reveals how much confidence you have in them. Man, there must be something wrong. Man, I, well, I don't know what's wrong. You know, he should be here. She should be here. They're coming. I know they're coming. I know they'll be here. And so I'm not leaving. And so when we persist in prayer and we keep praying and we keep praying and we keep praying, what that's doing is just saying, God, I believe you. I know how good you are. I know that you fulfill your word no matter what. And I'm, gonna, I, I'm so convinced of that, even though I haven't seen it happen yet, I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep coming to you and coming to you and coming to you because I know how good you are. I know how much you love me and the people around me. And so I trust you. I'm, I'm going to hang out here. I'll, I'll stay for an hour if it takes that long, God, because I know you're coming. And it's going to be worth it when you get here. A good illustration of that is in the New Testament, a woman that, um, that came to Jesus. This story is recorded in a couple of the Gospels, but uh, Matthew 15 is one of the records of it. I'm not going to have it up on the screen. I'm just going to tell you the story. But Jesus was in northern Israel. And um, so this is, this is you know, towards the latter part of his ministry. And a woman uh, says, one translation says Canaanite, another gospel says Syrophoenician, but it, it's just two different names for the same region. And this woman who was not Jewish, Canaanite woman, came to Jesus. He's eating with his apostles. And she says, my daughter is terribly demonized and, the, and it's a horrible thing. Jesus, she says this, son of David, have mercy. So she calls him by his Old Testament name, son of David, which tells me that this woman must be a believer. She must have insight into God's word, insight into who Jesus really is. And son of David, have mercy. And Jesus just ignores her. He doesn't respond to her. And that goes on for a while. And then the apostles say, send her away. And because she keeps asking, son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy. And he's ignoring her. And they say, send her away. And Jesus turns to her and he says, in effect, I'm summarizing and paraphrasing, but he says, you know, for this short portion of my ministry, it's focused on Israel. It's, I'm here for Israel right now. It's going to open up very soon to all the Gentiles, which will include you, but we're not there yet. And so he says, this food that I have to offer, I can't take the food away from the children of Israel and give it to you and to others who are not part of Israel. Not right now. It's coming, but not right now. And this woman in her perseverance says to Jesus, but Jesus, even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the table, from the children's, from the children's table. 
And she was saying there, it's not going to take much. It's not going to take much of your power. And I'm asking you to do this. And Jesus said, you know, you have great faith. According to your faith, be it done to you. And her daughter was healed and delivered from that demon instantly. But what if she had, what if she had been afraid? What if she had thought, oh my, 12 men sitting there around that table. Some of them look kind of rough and, and sketchy. Uh, and what drove her into that room? What drove her into the room? Desperation. Because it was her daughter and compassion never is higher than for our own children. The compassion she had for her child pushed past all the fear, all the anxiety, and she had some idea that this son of David had a good heart. She may not have fully comprehended, and it hadn't been yet revealed the fullness of the love of God that's going to be released to us at that point, I don't believe. But, but she had some confidence in the goodness of Jesus, and so, so she presses into that room. And even though these men, are, and, and women were not even supposed to be in the room when men ate in those days. So, I mean, this is a big, big deal. She presses in, and they're saying, get out of here. Leave him alone. What's wrong with you? And they're scoffing at her, and she presses through that, and she keeps, keeps asking, keeps asking. And she got what she came for. But you know what she got? She got something out of time. It was coming that not that long, this would all be opened up to the Gentiles, and then the answer would be, yes, your daughter's healed instantly. But that thing that was coming a year or so in the future she was able to grab hold of and pull back into her present by her perseverance and her persistence in intercession. And that's so much of what we do. I read one person once that said, there's this tree of life at the end of the age and, and uh, it, its leaves are for the healing of the nations. One man said, you know, we get to reach ahead, pluck leaves off the tree of life and bring them back here into the present and feed people those leaves. Isn't that good? Yeah, because we call the kingdom of God into the present realm. And that kingdom is released today. And, and we, we come to God because we know God's good. We persevere and we keep coming and we keep coming and we keep coming and we don't quit because God is good and he loves us and he welcomes us into his throne room to ask and he promises and we keep going because we know how good he is. So this... Um, <laughs> Well, Daniel illustrates this too in a big way. Daniel 9. In Daniel 9, Daniel was a young guy that had been captured and led away to another country that had taken um, uh, most, of, most of the Jews out of Palestine and, and shipped them to the Middle East. And, um, and they were living there. Daniel was one of them. He was a, a, a very intelligent young man. So he was being trained under the ways of that other country. And Daniel was reading the Bible one day, and he ran across this promise in God's Word. We're going to read about that right now. Daniel 9, 1 through 3. Okay, Daniel 9, 1 through 3. It says this. So he says, in the first year of King Darius, they just had a switch and a new king. I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So, all right. We're, we're, Jerusalem's desolate, and we are captive, so this captivity was supposed to last 70 years. And so Daniel's saying, hey, wait a second, it's almost 70 years. 70 years is coming up close, so God said at the end of 70 years, we're going to be set free, and we get to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. 
So what does, what does Daniel do? He has a promise from God. Does he just sit back and say, oh boy, I'm, I, I, can, I can take it easy now. God has promised this is going to happen. I'm just going to go on Netflix and watch TV and binge out on that and all the great movies I've missed. No. What does he do? You read it right there. What's he do? He prayed passionately with fasting. And, and he even put on sackcloth and ashes. And that was something they did in those days um, that you know, throw ashes up in the air, ashes on yourself and sackcloth. But he says, I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fat petition, in fasting, in his sackcloth and ashes. So the promise of God, when Daniel heard it, stirred him to intercede on behalf of the nation of Israel, to be passionate about that and to keep going for it, just to keep going. And you know how we know he kept going? Because of what happens in the next chapter. In Daniel 10, 12 through 13, here's what we read. Then he, the angel, an angel appears to Daniel, and the angel said, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven, and I've come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me to help me because I had been trapped there alone in Persia. So Daniel prays, and it takes 21 days before the answer comes. And he kept praying the whole time. And he keeps praying. If you read, he's, he's, he's still in prayer. He's still in prayer. The answer's not here yet, but the answer's been sent. The answer's been sent, but it's not here yet, but it's been sent. And when, when we pray, things happen in the spiritual realm that are beyond our comprehension, that we don't understand and if you're wondering, why hasn't this prayer been answered yet? Why didn't God send a squadron of angels with this angel to bust through the resistance? Because there was a, there's, there's this chief demon over Persia, a fallen angel that's in charge of this whole region of Persia. And he says, no way. I know you got this message for Daniel. I'm not letting you through. And he was powerful enough that he could stop that angel from passing through. And the angel actually says, I was trapped there for 21 days. So it's like he was, he, was under, he was under arrest. And so finally, God sends Michael, and Michael frees him, and he comes with the answer. Now that tells me Daniel kept praying. I don't know. You know, if Daniel had quit praying, would God have sent Michael? You don't know. But Daniel prayed. He trusted God. Things happen in the whole spirit realm that we don't understand when we pray. And we persevere and we keep praying because the whole thing is warfare. There's warfare involved in this. And when it's warfare, things are unpredictable. Now, yes, God could just end it all right now. Couldn't he? He could end all the warfare in the whole world. And we enter into the eternal state right now. But you know what that means? That means every saved family member, every unsaved family member is doomed. That means every friend or neighbor that you have that doesn't yet know Jesus, no more chances. And so God, when we say, well, God could do this, yeah, he could. He could end it all. But if he does, then it cuts off all these people from coming to faith in Jesus. And so, so Daniel is an illustration of persevering prayer. But I just want to say this to close. God wants, he wants intercessors like Daniel. He wants us to intercede like that Canaanite mother 
that was passionately pursuing healing for her daughter. And to do that, you must have confidence in God's goodness. You've got to. Because if you believe, if you just believe that we're just going to struggle along and suffer in this life and never have any joy, never have any peace, never have any victory, and by victory, I don't mean victory in the sense of every problem in your life is gone, but that you are able to deal with the problems and still be a happy person, trusting God, blessing other people, walking in faith through, through any difficulty that comes. If you believe that it's just going to, if you don't believe you're going to see God's goodness, then why would you pray in the first place? And so the psalmist said in Psalm 27, he said, I, this verse changed my life when I, when I read it 20 years ago. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. Up until that time, I thought, well, okay, we're all going to see God's goodness in heaven. But right now, boy, it's a crapshoot. You don't know. You know, God wants to bless that person. He doesn't want to bless me, I guess. If, if anybody who has that attitude, you can't, inter, you can't intercede because you don't... See, we need to have confidence. We need to say this. We're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm going to see God. That doesn't mean all the problems are gone. But it means I'm going to have this peace and this strength to face whatever I have to face with victory in this world. And a whole lot of those things are just going to be taken care of too. But say this with me, okay? I will see, I will see. the goodness of God... In the land of the living. Again, I will see. Shout it with me. Start at the beginning. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's why we pray, right? That's why we pray. So I'm going to end with this verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, I, I referred to this last week. Powerful verse. This is King Asa. And um, he failed to trust God when he could have. All he had to do was say, God, I need help. And God would have helped him. That's what the prophet's saying. He's saying, don't you know, Asa, that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, entire earth, to show himself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And, you know, in spite of the fact that King Asa made some major blunders, at one point a prophet came and gave him a message. He didn't like the message God had for him, so he threw the prophet in a dungeon. And another time he just abandoned God when, when God would have healed him. He, he didn't go to God. And so we look at things like that and say, well, man, this guy didn't have a loyal heart. But, you know, at the end of his life, God's word says, nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all of his days. And I want to tell you something. God looks at loyalty differently than we do and, and you and I do. And the word loyal doesn't mean perfect. It means direction. It means I'm headed that direction. That's where I'm going. And it doesn't have to be a perfect path. It doesn't have to be. Let, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm going back. Um, would you stand up, please, right there back at the wall, right down this row? I'm pointing right at you right now. Yes, you. you what's your name? Mark, okay. I'm headed to Mark. I'm going down to see Mark. Am I going towards Mark right now? No, I'm not. No, am I? How about now? No. How about now? Well, a little bit more. All right, I sit down here and take a nap. And I'm headed towards Mark. Okay, I go over here and I get distracted by these things. Am I headed towards Mark? Well... How about now? 
All right, how about, how about now? If you take that zigzag and you draw a line right down the center of it, where am I headed? I'm headed towards Mark. Not perfectly, but that's the direction I'm going. That's what a loyal heart is. It's the direction you're going. And that you make mistakes and you blow it. But you get back on track. And, and, th- and that's the direction. And so you don't have to be, you don't have to be this, this huge, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be uh, well-known or a pastor or a prophet or anything like that. You don't have to be a scholar. You just have to have a loyal heart for all the mistakes we make. Okay, God, boy, that, I, I really messed up that time, but let's see, you're over there. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start going there. And I take a few steps, and I might stumble again, but oh, I'm, I'm getting back up. I'm going to go that direction. That's a loyal heart. That's all you have to have. God's looking for people like you, and he wants you to engage in his move in the world and what we, what we see coming as a new great awakening, he wants you to be part of praying that in. And again, not just praying, we gotta do too, we gotta be out there, but if we're out there without praying, it ends up being more us than God. And if we're praying and we're not out there, it ends up being more us than God. It's gotta be both, gotta be both. So we have a, a few ways you can respond to this message. Uh, if you've never been to an intercessor's prayer meeting before, um, when you come, you don't have to do anything. You can come and just be there. You can just come and just sit there and listen the whole time. But Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, Jim already announced that. There will be an intercessory prayer meeting here at the church downstairs in the lower level. Wednesday at noon, Joe Sayer. Joe, stand up. Joe's my hero. Do you know he's here? Yeah. He's here every day, Tuesday through Friday, for how many hours? Two and a half hours interceding, praying, reading scripture over the churches, walking through the whole building, praying over your ministry area, four times a week, two and a half hours at a time. Wednesday, come at noon and join with Joe. He'll just show you what he does. It's simple. It's it's not complicated. It's It's heart and passion. But he's a wonderful guy. You want to come and just spend some time with him and let let some of that stuff rub off on you. And then a third way, Friday morning at 10 o'clock, we're going to meet in our our, our all-purpose room. I know a lot of you work, but that's where we have the Tuesday night. And then we're going to have Friday morning. And that will just be led by a different staff. So come to that, okay? There are slips of paper in the back with those three times on them, on the two tables on each side, and on the um, sound booth there. So would you stand with me, please? Yeah, I'm going to pray, especially for those that um, this is just breaking in the idea that God really is delighted. He loves you. And just like Asa, he's looking at you and he said, yeah, they're, they're headed my direction. They, they have a loyal heart all their days. And that's how he's assessing you. And he loves you so much. And you don't have to beat up on yourself any longer. He wants you to stop doing that. So if I'm going to pray for that whole thing right now. Just hold your hands up. Father, we ask in Jesus' name for freedom. Freedom that we know you give. Freedom to see ourselves as you see us and to humble ourselves before you and just to accept, okay, I guess, I guess in God's eyes I'm pretty good, I'm pretty great, so I'm not going to argue with that. 
I, I guess God loves me deeply and intimately. And I'm not going to argue with that any longer. I'm just going to receive that. Let that just Holy Spirit come out and release that as revelation to every person here. Let us walk uh, trusting your word, trusting you, obeying you, walking towards you. In Jesus' name. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you for, uh, for, I ask, Lord, for faith to rise in the room, in Jesus' name. I had an encounter some years ago where I was, I was in prayer, but um, I, I looked up to the sky, and this is a, in a vision, or open vision, however you want to say it, and I saw armies of heaven, just the armies of God, and it was, this whole sky was filled with angelic armies and they were it looked like a, a river of fire in the sky and they were shining there was armor there were horses there were chariots all kinds of things there and I, it startled me and I heard the Holy Spirit say uh, they're here for you and they're here to see that what you're praying for gets done so you literally move heaven's armies when you're praying the heart of God so I'm going to pray for that for you mm-hmm. that you would increase in your heart at hearing the voice of God and praying that forth and believe, believe, have faith that it's being done. Mm-hmm. That it's being done. Your voice, voice is heard around the throne of God. So Lord, I just thank you for faith. Mm-hmm. I thank you for faith, Lord. Mm-hmm. That we will look up, look up, look up, look up. Help is here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.